you're listening to the Bearded Theologians podcast, hosted by Zach Bechtold and Matt Franks. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast, and check us out online at beardedtheologians.com. You're listening to the Bearded Theologians podcast, hosted by Matt Franks. And Zach Bechtold. And today we have a very special guest with us, a very good friend and colleague, the Reverend Poet uh, Del Fredrickson. Uh, he's a poet out in, uh, a poet, you are a poet out in Denver, uh, but you're also a pastor out in Denver. And uh, and I, I got to meet Del a couple years ago uh, through a super, super awkward way. Uh, I was trying to sell him a propaganda shirt. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, at U15, actually. And uh, uh, so much fun. Just kind of, we connected over propaganda and over really sweet hats. Uh, and then, like twenty minutes later, he gets up on stage and just knocks out some killer poetry. Uh, and ever since then, I've just been in awe of the dude. Uh, and so we have the honor to have you on uh, on the podcast today, Dell, just to, just to tell us what you do and, and why you do it, and um, you know all of that good stuff. So, so Dell, tell us a little bit about you, other than super really awkward introductions <laughs> <laughs> that, that was awesome so propaganda not uh not the propaganda but right. a los angeles based uh spoken word poet hip-hop artist um really incredibly incredible dude who um uh does phenomenal work that so that that's why i wanted the t-shirt and yeah. apparently he didn't have he didn't have a large for my for my big frame and so zach was helping me out and i got to meet propaganda last week in denver uh when he was doing like this really wonderful sort of racial reconciliation conversations and uh his new album's phenomenal um and he was just talking with uh, actually show baraka another like uh, hip-hop artist and so neat like bringing together real meaningful conversations for the church so anyway it comes full circle of like propaganda and zach and uh, thank you guys for having me on the show. This is awesome. Um, yeah, so you said like uh, my jam is sort of being a pastor and a poet. And yeah, I love it. Um, I love, I think that uh, my commitment is to words and how how words make worlds for us and how words sort of um, allow the atoms and molecules in the room to change and shape and shift us and into something more, something that we're called to be. So I've always kind of loved words and uh, yeah, that's so, that's what I do. So yeah, awesome. I, I guess sometimes, sometimes. I mean, I, <laughs> I speak professionally for a living too. I'm not so good at putting the words together. So I <laughs> understand. Mm. Um, now, man, uh, I love, love what you do. I have, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna nerd out a little bit. I have all your books, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! No, but, <laughs> awesome. but what, I, what, what I love about what, what you do in, in, in writing and, and even preaching, uh, getting to hear you preach, um, you, you just speak from the heart so well uh, and so passionately. Um, in, in, you know, reading through your, your poems and you know, I've used them a bunch of liter- for liturgies and, and calls to worship and stuff like that because they just they just speak. Um, I mean, I, I used one, one, one of your poems was my Christmas uh, day sermon uh, oh, just last year, just because it, it's, they speak so beautifully and, and people connect with them. Um, and, and so tell us, um, 
I guess tell us, because uh, I don't, poetry is hard for me, man. I, I love yeah. to listen to it. I love to read it. <laughs> I can't write it. We <laughs> put words together, not so great sometimes. Um, so tell us what kind of that process is. Um, I know you're going through, yeah. or not going through, I know you're doing kind of a, a daily devotion or, or spiritual reflection where you're writing something every day. So what's that yeah. process like? Yeah, yeah. Um, super good question. I, um, I think... Well, I started in the church, um, you know, in youth ministry, like many of us. And uh, I loved, I loved youth ministry. I loved like the action, the energy, everything that's going on, especially, I like love youth culture and I love thinking through. And uh, when I was, I was in Anaheim, California. So I was in the Cal Pack conference at the time. And, uh, you know, Disneyland is like right down the street from Anaheim United Methodist Church. So like, it's really kind of cool because you're like, uh, you're not really going to compete with Disneyland in a kid's life, you know? And um, and so we started doing a lot of art stuff. It actually, we were reading manga Bibles, um, I'm sorry, manga comic books yeah. and like just getting crazy into the manga world. And I started to just listen to these students and that's when it started to, I started to write more poetry because I could do more with like a two minute poem than I could with like a 15 minute like teaching or sermon for that age group. And then we could discuss it, you know? So, and then I, I had, I've been to a couple spoken word poetry sort of poet slams and also like open mics. And, um, it's like my soul when I see a poet, like get up there and like tell a story in like 2.5 minutes or usually like three minutes. It's, um, my heart like explodes and I'm like, that's what I do. That's me. That's, and I don't know how to like explain it other than that, but it was like this, this poetic, this art form of communication that like really speaks to me. Like, you know, they, the, the lines are memorable, right? There's a musicality to the words, there's um, there is something you can say in short and succinct way, and so I was really after like a an art form that could help me speak to youth culture and speak the like pains and heartaches and joys of my own heart. Whereas um, the traditional sermon, sometimes its length doesn't allow us to get to the short, especially in a culture where like we're talking, we get a soundbite, right? <laughs> right, right. Um, so that's kind of how like it started uh, of just trying to find an art form. And I'm, I'm, I think I'm, I didn't grow up in the church. So it took me till that's probably like the most unique thing of, about my storyline. Um, my, you know, my family just is kind of just not Christian, you know, kind of post Catholic. And then, um, my dad, um, my dad, when I'm 15 years old, ends up getting cancer and dying Rick really quickly, like in, in a six month window. And in this six months window, it was like shocking. Cause uh, I had that, I don't know, I don't know what it is about like the, the symbolic universe or like the, what's tied to our heart of fathers and sons and the, you know, they, we talk about the fatherlessness of, of hearts and how, but I like longed for my dad's like attention my whole life. And then when he died, it was like, it was traumatic for me, you know, like, and, um, and I couldn't, I, it was so hard to process. And so that's when like, I, I saw more and more poetry come out of like processing this pain, processing this fatherlessness. And, but that experience led like my next door neighbor to be like, Oh no, Dale's in trouble, man. We've got to get him in the door of the church, you know? And, um, and it was beautiful because it was like the best of what we say. Like I needed it. Like I, I needed God. I, I needed church. And um, the church was like the first time I, I remember like, and so I have this like visceral like smells and experience of being like 
a non-Christian person, a, a very secular person. And then like in the church, I remember like the smells are different, man. You know, like the people treat you different in the church. Like people always want to hug you in church. And it's like awkward when you come from like a non-Christian world. And so like the, the, the difference between it was so jarring to me and, but also incredible because I remember like for like six months, the sermons and the prayers and the people, it was like this grieving process and the church literally helped me grieve. And then, and then I remember like, it was the first time I'd ever heard God is love. And like, if, if there is like a message, you know, like those three profound words, you know, um, transformed my life that there could be a God of love. And then these women, like, like, oh my goodness, like, where would we be in the church without these incredible women from across the generations who just are committed to love, you know? And so um, they just love me and love me and taught me this like ancient way of faith. And clearly my life just had a like 180 transformation But um, the thing that's unique about that is that, like, I always have had this sensitivity to kind of Christian East language. And so, like, I have this allergic reaction when we use Christian East words. And I, I, for the longest time, I was like, I just need to, like, bury that within me and not say that because I love Christian people so much. You know, like, I love the church. But like, oh God, you can't tell people that, you know, and I think it's coming from my, you know, that, or, or I have no idea what that word means, you know, like in a, in our, in our language, in our like sort of culture. And so that like, really, I was just sort of passionate about um, thinking through like how to say things in new and fresh ways. And I think that's like what, what I, why I'm attracted to words. It's like, I've got to say it fresh. It's got to be new. It's got to be in a way that like, And I think that's the way we, where we are all at, like stories become cliched, right? Words become cliched and need, need sort of a new freshing vision onto them. So that's kind of like why I I am just like, absolutely. I'd say it's an obsession with words, like to make them new and fresh for people. Like I'm always trying to think through what, how are people hearing this? How's it being received? Because um, as you know, like, uh, as like the studies have shown us, you know, uh, Uh, it's David Kinnaman and Gabe Lyons, phenomenal book, Unchristian. Uh, the, the first sentence is the best sentence in the world. It says Christianity has an image problem. Mm-hmm. And they do these all these incredible um, uh, studies, like not only like um, they did intensive interviews, but they also did numerical sort of George Barna and like, you know, from 31 years and, uh, and younger than one of the, they do top three things. But one of the number one things that younger folks think about the church is it's judgmental. And it's so contradictory that we have this God is love as the baseline of our whole thinking and our whole identity. And that whatever we're doing, it doesn't matter our theology or what we're not. People are perceiving that the church is not a warm and welcoming place. And so um, that's where language and creating new language all the time to show people, no, the the table is for you, right? This is your chair, you know? Um, And so... So that's kind of what hums in my heart of like helping. And I, I was just, this goes to my point of like, I was just at Denver, just hosted the national poetry slam and so cool. Like this doesn't happen, right? These they're in San Francisco, they're in Boston, they're in New York, but Denver shout out hosts the national poetry slam. And you have to understand like, this is like this poetry slam. This is not a Christian event. This is an event for 
everyone who has a voice. It's very diverse, very, very diverse. Um, actually, the, the last night where they actually do the competition to see who wins. So what they do is they have four teams. Um, shout out to Boston, San Diego, New York, and uh, uh, San Francisco. And San Diego won the whole event this year in Denver. And they have like a team of six. And then each round, there's four rounds, they sort of bring up their poet or their team of poets. And the one of the like incredible themes of the night was the judgmentalism of the church. And it was like, like um, you're sitting there and you're trying to soak in this like environment because uh, they have spent a year preparing their poems. And these are the best poets by the voting of their peers and by the judges. And it was like, there was some like deep despair in my heart of like, mm -hmm. man, it's so sad that whatever we're doing, we are not, we are not, the image problem is so real in the church of like, um, and, and I was trying to like, I was trying to feel that, you know, just let that feel in my bones of like, what does it mean for us as like young pastors to say, this is what people are feeling. So we've got to do, we've got work to do. Um, not only in our own souls to show like, is there any like ounce in my being that is not like exuding a, a God is love, you know? And then what is it showing that our churches and really talking about this, this question, you know, what does it mean that God is love and how are we not showing that love to others? You know, and I think this is uh, such an important conversation and how has that worked out in our language? How's that worked out in everything? So that's what I was just painting for you is like the studies are clear. The, the young youth culture have made it very clear the, the way they're feeling at the church just like this. And I, I, it's amazes me like, and we can always talk, well, if it's not the Methodist church where it's like, well, <laughs> we are all, we are all in this together and something that we're doing is like pushing young people away from this encounter um so anyway that's kind of why i i wanted I, I wanted poetry to be a way that i could um speak in these events you know go to these poetry slams and be a, and listen because i find my soul's enriched by hearing the 19 mm -hmm. year old girl who uh 19 year old girl she's depressed and the church basically gives her the easy cliche answer and it draws her deeper into depression and hides her from any sense that the church could help her or be there for her. So that's kind of what we were thinking of words and their ability to open up and to create humility and to create spaces for us of inclusivity and love and a table that is like flowing, right? <laughs> With the right. bread and the cup and conversation that matters, purpose, right. compassion. <laughs> so, um, well, yeah. I think you're right. Uh, cause, uh, cause on, on that hand, when we, when we learn, when we learn what words mean and, and the power that they have and we use them appropriately, you know, we use them in those um, honest and open moments of, man, I'm, I'm depressed. Well, here's, come here, you know, mm -hmm. here's what love mm -hmm. is, here's what compassion is. But on the other hand, too often we, we use these words that we either think we know, they, we know what they mean or we have no clue. And, and so we just spill them out. Just, they're just rhetoric. You know, they're just empty, empty promises, cliches, you know, just a here. How do I get out of this uncomfortable situation with, you know, out having to deal with it? And and I think, you know, like you say, that's that's what's pushing. That's what's pushing people away is, you know, we have these answers that we've come up with in the church and, you know, this is the top 10 list. And this is what we're going to say in this situation. And we're pushing people further and further away because we have no idea what we're saying. Um, yeah. And if we if we kind of know what the word means, we don't believe it, you know. And and so it's putting those words together in in, a, in such a meaningful way that here's how I understand this. Here's how I've experienced this word. 
this compassion, this love, this grace, mm. um, and finding ways to do that, that just reach into people's hearts and let them know that they're loved mm. um, instead of pushing them away and, and reminding them they have a problem or an illness mm. or whatever. Mm. Um, and so finding new ways to, not new ways, but just understanding how to do that's huge. Mm. Well, and I think one of the things, one of the things I was thinking about, Dell, um, uh, just in many of the many different interactions that you and I have had over the years, um, uh, I was thinking about rhythm and, and, mm-hmm. and the problem that we have in the church is a rhythm. Um, I've sat mm-hmm. through worship services where I, you know, I came out saying that was just so flat and it wasn't that the message wasn't good. It wasn't that the music wasn't good. It was just the rhythm of the service didn't have this this flow and and rhythm that 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 poetry and and spoken word have in a way that that can draw us in and and if you look at our liturgy if if you look especially if you look at the united methodist you know order of worship there is an ebb and flow in that and i think we've moved so far away from that from the attractional let's let's um let's have this thing and we'll call it whatever it is and you know this will draw people in and what people are looking for is an eternal rhythm mm. that, that, you know, like spoken word, you know, I was thinking um, when I heard you in February and in, in Denver, I was, I don't remember what you had said, but man, I was just like, I came out of there. It's like, I needed to hear that. And I don't know what I heard, <laughs> but I needed to hear, um, I needed the rhythm. Mm, and, 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 and I think what people are looking for in this crazy and hectic world that we live in is a rhythm. Um, and, and what's, what's, what's insane and what blows my mind is that the church provides the rhythm oh, man. Uh, and, and, and we've moved so far away from that. Um, and so I was just thinking, you know, with all this stuff that you've done, Dale, um, you know, how, um, you know, we kind of talked to this a little bit before we hit record, but, um, you know, what, what gives you life, um, when you do what you do? Oh man, that's a, and, and just like your observation about rhythm, that is so important. And I was just thinking when, when, uh, both of you were talking that, you know, we, I don't know if you get like, uh, I, I don't know how they find you as a pastor on these email lists, but like you get these like 10 things the church needs to do. Or I like, they, they make right. me want to puke these emails. Yes. Right. And they're yes. so simplistic and they're so, but like when you talk about language use, like that's a real conversation, right? That we all can, mm-hmm. and that doesn't fit well in like a bulleted list, you know, right. <laughs> like, <I'm> like, <laughs> make sure you're giving your visitors a gift, you know, it's like, right. okay. <laughs> and wonderful. We know that's true, but it's like so simplistic, but language, mm-hmm. how's your congregation engaging in language and using language of the community. And from as simple as like your billboard signs, I, I have, I have to close my eyes when I roll by churches with their billboard signs. Cause it's like, um, a buffet of like, can we put the most cheesiest slogan in the world on these signs? Right. Okay. And it is not okay. And, and the bulletins, like we're just so unthoughtful with our worship programs and like, um, but language use and language, how we're doing it, but, and then rhythm to that. I love that. And capturing that ancient sacred liturgy, you know, of we, we're part of a tradition that decided from the, the fourth century on that, like, yeah, Advent, that's, that's the coming of, of this child that changes everything. And we're going to lean into this, what peace means. And then Easter season and Lent, we're going to mourn and grieve and admit our complicity, but also grieve the pain we see and, and wait, hold on for it. 
because a resurrection does come and new life is going to come. And I mean, that's such a beautiful, I mean, that's like, that's the story of stories, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's the, that, um, that new life comes from the dirt, from the ground, you know? And, and so anyway, I love, I love that rhythm and language and, I, and then you, so then you brought me to your question of like, what gives me life and sort of this is like the, the way I would like, I've been saying this lately is uh, uh, like when I'm writing poetry, I'm a better pastor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like, it sounds like yeah. so weird. Like I'm a better parent. I'm a better partner. I'm a better pastor because this for me is like part of the calling, you know? And I think we each need to find that sacred thing we're called to, you know, and whether that, um, you know, this the way you guys described for me when we started the, the, the practice of this podcast for you of like hearing voices, mm-hmm. engaging in conversation, that's real. That, that gives you some life, you know? So I think that um, some, some pastors we know, like they're like, uh, they love to get on their bike or they're like, they're like fitness buffs, you know, they're all chiseled muscular specimens, <laughs> you know, uh, males and females. And that's wonderful. But it's, I think it's finding that thing and not being afraid of it because Another word we need to talk about, shame and guilt. We have got to put a moratorium on words like shame and guilt in our culture because the church is just loaded with it, loaded. Mm -hmm. Somehow everyone's Mm -hmm. feeling shame and that's keeping them from hearing anything about love and and acceptance and belonging, Mm -hmm. right? And so I think it's it's pastors saying uh, and not being afraid to say, I've got to cut time out for this workout or this writing project or this podcast or I'm trying to think of, um, oh, oh, I think I have some wonderful examples. Some some of our colleagues, like, they are passionate about, like, social justice. And yeah. they need to do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they need mm-hmm. to, like, you know, and not be ashamed and say, this is part This is part of the work of staying healthy, of being a vibrant. Because right. so often we get caught in the administration and the teaching responsibilities that we're not mm-hmm. taking time for those uh, those um, heart, heart, deeply heart-caring, self-care funnel the flame of passion into your soul, you know? So that's kind of what I would say. Um, I, can I say one really cool thing that I think about this? So um, I love this poet named Naomi Shihab Nye, and she is a phenomenal woman with a really wonderful past, but she wrote a poem on kindness that will like change your life. Um, and we can get to that, but she has this saying that she uses with her students. She says, your life is a poem. Mm-hmm. And so she writes it on the chalkboard and I love this because I wish that every pastor, I wish every, you know, every one of our people in our pews would, would take this seriously in terms of that rhythm you said, that musicality, that memorability, that sort of imagination that you, you have this divine responsibility with the one heartbeat you've been given to shape this life, you know, to figure out what, what gives you life, what cuts you to the quick, what breaks your heart back open and what puts it back together again. And so if we all sort of like thought about the mechanics and, you know, there's a beautiful verse in Ephesians, uh, you know, you are literally God's, we translate it masterpieces, um, but literally the poeta is the word in the Greek and it's, you are God's poems Mm. created in Christ Jesus for those good works And that's so beautiful. So the yeah. very rhythm that poems have is supposed to be characterized in sort of the the bones and joints and muscles of our souls, right? Mm-hmm. And so what if we took seriously in our congregational life of like, are you creating your life as a poem? 
are you are you really shaping your life and because this cuts to i don't know about you all but like i have people that are on like teams ministry teams and they hate it they're doing this out of like duty and responsibility and i'm like i'm just like oh 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 don't do this anymore like please right. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, like the body is not whole if you're going to be like grumpy grumple still skins uh, when you're greeting people on Sunday morning, you know, like find a spot that you enjoy because life mm-hmm. is too short for you to be uh, giving off that funky odor to everybody, you know, <laughs> that, that, the funky vibe. Um, right. So anyway, so your life is a poem, uh, sort of one way I think about the rhythm and that need for rhythm internally in our souls. So, And you, you, you talk about rhythm and just that hum. And, and I think the first time that I heard you, heard you, perform or, or, or speak or whatever, whatever, whatever it is that you call it, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's like, Hey pastor, what do you do when you sit in your office? I don't, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> <Podcast>. awesome. <laughs> but, but that's, that's what resonated in me was that hum, uh, you know, that rhythm that we have, um, like I said, that Ephesians are, we're, we're God's poems. And so that rhythm that we have in, in these ups and downs of life where, you know, a, poems aren't always just happy. They aren't always just, you know, sad or whatever. They, they have these ebbs and flows and, and they walk us through life uh, or we walk through life with them. And we've got this hum. And, and a theme that I notice in a lot of, a lot of your work is that hum and that rhythm with God. Mm-hmm. Um, right. and, and so we, we've got this, we've got this rhythm that's going on with, with, uh, with God and with people. And how are we going to use that? How are you going to make that rhythm begin to be together and, and, and be maybe, maybe not as one, but how do we make music in this rhythm, you know, in in a world that gosh really doesn't want to, um, or at least puts up a whole lot of walls to break through before we get there. Well, and, and, and as you were talking, what kind of, uh, and this is something I've been working with my staff on, um, we've been really focusing on strength-based, uh, leadership and strength-based gifts and, you know, utilizing our strengths, but how often do our churches, I mean, and, and you just reflect on this and you don't have to, I mean, this is, we can talk about this if we want to, but how often is it in our churches and, and Del, you, you really, you, you nailed this. How often in our churches do we, um, put people in places where they don't belong oh, and they should never be only because we're wanting to fill a hole and we're not trying to fill themselves. Mm-hmm. And, and, and one of the things that I'm kind of been trying to get people to understand here is I want us to do what we're passionate about. Um, I don't want us to do, you know, cause there's some things that just aren't working anymore and we need to move in a new direction. And the only way that you move in a new direction is you face the challenge and you meet it head on and you say this, we're going to change. This isn't going to be the way it is. And I was thinking about the speaker that we brought in uh, on Sunday morning. Um, she was the communications person for the Oklahoma Conf- or circle of care, which is um, our adoption ministry here in the Oklahoma conference. And she said this quote, I actually wrote it on my whiteboard just so I could have it like right there. So I could understand this every, just for a while. She said that in order to have change, you have to have challenge. And, um, I was thinking about what we were trying to do and, and each one of us, um, all three of us are, are different in our own unique way, but yet we can come together and have these genuine conversations uh, of laughter. And, and, and to me, that's what theological conversation is really about. 
It's about just coming together and having just general conversation and not getting lost in, in, in the jargon of theology or the jargon of the world that says, if we disagree, we can't be friends. Like, I'm talking with two uh, Colorado Rockies fans, and yet we can <laughs> get together, uh, even though we just swept you all a couple of weeks ago. Um, and that but, might be a little strong for me. I just associate it because I live in Colorado. <laughs> We're still 66 and 52. Let me point that out. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. But to me, and, and, and maybe this is this is the way that we we handle that in, in a way, in, a, in creating a safe space where. People can look at us and say, man, this is really what Christianity is about. It's about having a good old time, good old conversation. I mean, really, if you think about it, it's a Jesus and Luke, you know, going around partying and, and just having a good old time and doing good things. Um, and and how often do we find ourselves just stuck in the rut of just things that really don't matter and, yeah. and just yeah. suck the giving life out of us? But maybe in those pockets of life, you know, like with your spoken word, Dale, with with this podcast for Zach and I, um, or just other things that we do, um, you know, focusing on uh, just maybe focusing on life. You know, Jesus came to give us life, not death. Mm-hmm. Uh, he didn't call Peter and James to be on the finance committee when they have no concept of finances. Um, he called them because they had special gifts to go fish. And And what if we take our gifts like you know Dale you've done a great job with your gift of spoken word and and like I said I've used utilized your resources has actually utilized your resources in our congregations um to to help try to give life to people versus saying you know we need you in this spot because you fit x or you know um and you're killing body. <laughs> or yeah you're a right. body. and <laughs> and maybe that's the challenge or the pushback that we, we, we strive to, to work towards giving life than just trying to maintain or kill. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, that's, you, you both said so many wonderful things. Um, that was so good. Um, I, I think one of the things that I think that I, that both of you, I think what we need to do in our churches is begin to embrace death again and to em- embrace the storyline that like crucifixion happens. And, um, and death happens all the time and grief happens and sadness and sorrow. And unless we can go to those depths, we can't actually experience the newness and the new life. And it's, um, it's so interesting to me that like, unless we embrace death and failure and mistakes and just sort of like um, cultivate like a, a joy about celebrating all these times. Yeah, we did it. We tried that. We totally failed. It was fantastic. You know, unless that starts to like be a part of our conversations, then it's like our, it's like, we're just going to always sort of keep celebrating ourselves. And, and that's an American problem, right? We don't as a culture know how to grieve. Mm. We don't as a culture Amen. know. And, and that's like, you know, that's the problem with like our, our worship culture. Like we, um, my worship leader and I have been talking about like picking songs that have a, a more of a mood of mystery and that allow people nuance and how they experience, you know, be that my vision. Perfect example. This is like beautiful, brilliant. We knocked it out of the park on this one because it doesn't, it allows people sort of nuance in their feelings and in their internals. Whereas like a song and, and, and it is in the hymnals and it's in the praise songs. So everyone is a human thing when they just stay at one level the whole time. Like, and I mean like celebrate, 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 you know, and this is like the pop song culture, right? Everyone knows what it means. What the next dance tune, 
you know, whatever that is, it's a high, it's, it's celebrate, celebrate. But like what the church needs to do is provide that countercultural voice of like, we're the people who do death really, really good and be unapologetic about it, you know, and just say like, this is a part of our story. And this is written into the, the creational rhythms of the earth. Everything has to go through dirt. You know, we're, go- we're coming to fall and fall in Colorado is like gorgeously beautiful. But what's happening, these, these trees are dying. <laughs> this is like their last sprint of beautiful colors before they like go dormant for the winter months. And what does it mean as a church to be like, yeah, hey, lots has to die all the time. That's just the process of life. But we're sort of in this denial in church life, right? That like that ministry has gone on for 40 years. So it ought to go on for 40 more. It's like, actually, <laughs> like that's like, a, that's a pretty good, that's longer than, uh, that's longer than any flower I know last. You know? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> You're kind of working against the, the organic rhythms of human life when you do that. Yeah. And I think what's key to this is, Zach, to sort of like key on something beautiful you said is, is so Walter Brueggemann, phenomenal scholar of Old Testament, but he wrote this book called The Spirituality of the Psalms. And mm-hmm. he, he just reads the Psalms in just such gorgeous ways. And in this, he basically has the schema of like orientation, disorientation, and new orientation where um, he believes that there's a rhythm, a cadence to all the Psalms, that this is sort of incumbent. And ironically, we've really lost um, those disorientation psalms and allowing people, and we all feel it as a pastor. Like you feel like, oh, oh, I'm supposed to give them some sense of hope. And it's like, maybe it's okay that you end your sermon, that you end the service of things are really sad right now. This this racial tension that has come to the surface, it's not going to be solved overnight. This is painful and hard and go in the grace and peace today as we reflect on these painful things. <laughs> that's okay. And we have to allow ourselves sometimes to be okay with, and maybe it's just being intentional and communicating that clearly. But the, the idea of Claus Westermann, he's a, like a German godfather of all things Psalmish uh, in the Bible. And he, he writes that he has this great line uh, in living the Psalms, this book he wrote that like, ironically, in the last couple of hundred years, laments have been completely left out of our liturgies. And it's like this aside, you're like, that's big. That's yeah. a big insight. You know, that like you have stopped people from lamenting. So how do we expect them to have life? Right. You know? And so maybe we need more like burying parties. Like we're going <laughs> to bury, we're going to bury this ministry. And it was awesome. It right. lived its time, put it in the right. dirt. You know? Well, and, um, and, and that parlays into the realness of us is the resurrection. Yeah. Because of this yeah. death, we're able to live. Yes. And yes. and and sometimes, I mean, I joke about this, but I've buried a couple of ministries openly. And it's been fun to watch. I, I hate to say it's been fun to watch the congregation like, he's okay with us failing? And he's like, yeah, <laughs> it, 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 it happens. I mean, you know, um, we're, we're all, we, we all get the concept of baseball. You know, a successful hitter goes one for three. Right, right. <laughs> and, 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 and when you think about that, to be an all time, all of fame, hall of fame hitter, you have to bat at least 300. That's like one in three. So if we could bring that mentality into the church and say, Hey, we're going to fail at a few things. And you know what? That's okay. We're going to, we're, we're going to, we're going to move on. And I think the other side kind of to, to kind of give uh, a little bit more to your conversation is that sometimes in our congregation, we've been so death oriented mm. that there is no life. 
and and we need someone to come in to give us life. Um, and I had I've had a lady tell me that I've had a couple of people tell me that here is that we've been dead, and and your energy and your focus has given us life. And 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 to me, that's rooted in my thought of the resurrection and that God creates all things new, and that that this shift will turn or will change. It's not going to turn around and it's not going to be like it was in our glory days. I'm okay with that. (laughs) But what I'm excited for is what it can be. If we really pay attention to where God is leading us and calling us to love and to care for one another, to do those basic things that we've been asked to do since the very beginning that we have moved so far away from, uh, of loving God and loving our neighbor and ourselves. And I think when we can pull those people back in and, and tell them, Hey, we're going to screw up with this. And you know what? That's going to be okay. We'll dust ourselves off. We'll get back up and we'll move on to the next town because, Oh wait, that's what Jesus did. And we've, I, I think we've gone one of either two ways. We've either been so trying to be giving full life in pop culture life that, that congregations are just so, numb to what's really going on in the pain and suffering in our world, or they've been so death focused (laughs) that they have no clue how to get out of that life circle, that there is no happy medium of either. And that moving either congregations or organizations to understanding that things will fail, but that's okay. We'll move on. But we have a hope of resurrection. And, and and I think that to me, as I was listening to you, I was like, we got to go to the resurrection. I mean, we've Mm -hmm. got to, I mean, that's who we are. I mean, and, 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 and that to me, that's just so important that things can be renewed, restored, refocused. Mm-hmm. And when we move in that direction, it's amazing to see what happens in people's lives, what happens in churches, when people get that sense of the spirit uh, that can move us in that direction. It's just so beautiful. And Oh, man. Um, when, when I heard you right there, what I heard is like, maybe what we're, what we're getting at here is that we have forgotten the whole story. That we, we have forgotten the both and part of the story, that there will be death and there will be resurrection. So get comfortable, buckle your seatbelts and hold on for both, you know, and it seems like uh, this like fragmentation that's happened in our culture of like, wow, we haven't, we have not taken seriously the story of Jesus, the story of our Christian mothers and fathers. And yeah. Here we go. This is a robust and the story of John Wesley, a robust both and is where we're all at all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think and, and I think you're right, Dell and, and, and Matt, both that, that we've forgotten because, you know, we, we look when we when we come into Lent um, and we start this season where it's like, oh, I got to be sad for, you know, <laughs> oh, <laughs> I got to give up Cokes and chocolate. Oh, it's, it's so much more than that because this is this is how we intentionally sit down and focus at least once a year and go, OK, here's where our hope comes from. Yeah. There's these moments in life where, yeah, we've got to slow down and look life in the face, look death, look fear, look sadness, look all of these things in the face and go, okay, here I am, Jesus, come on, you know, and, 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 and we get to celebrate the hope after that. And I think the biggest injustice that we do is we take those 40 days, we celebrate Easter, and then we go to the lake in the summer, you know, we, 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 we get out of school, we, we go wherever, and, and we, we leave that resurrection behind for the dog days of summer, and we come back in the fall, and we head out there, you know, yes, in the winter, yes, and, then, yes. and then we come to that peaceful place, 
Um, it, we got to find that place in between. Uh, right, right. And, and, and not forget where our hope comes from and not just celebrate that hope once a year on Easter, but every time we gather, yes. each and every day we wake up. Um, and that's hard to do because it's like, well, you know, it's Easter. We get that we, we get to celebrate the resurrection today, but what about tomorrow? Oh, we get right. to do that tomorrow too. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> right. That's right. That's right. And, and maybe like at the heart of spiritual formation is growing the capacity within you that is like, in one moment, you can grieve with the mm. the, the family that just lost their, their little baby. And mm-hmm. in the other second, you can like dance for joy about yeah. the, the elderly parents who have found a new ministry and a new life, you know, I mean, and this capacity, maybe we were created with such great power and energy inside us that we can learn that both are always a part of life, that there is always a resurrection waiting around the corner. But I don't know, this sense of like um, depth to our being, right? That can mm-hmm. celebrate and grieve simultaneously. Right. <laughs> right. Well, and I, and I think I think it goes back to the two words that, that you brought up of shame and guilt. Mm-hmm. Um, they're they're so rooted in yeah. at least our American culture that we can't do these things. We can't, mm-hmm. you know, um, we, without shame or guilt. No, mm-hmm. we need to be able to freely do that on a day to day basis um, and be okay with that. Because with the under knowing that there's hope at the end of that, that that yeah. grieving brings us hope that we get to see the light at the end of the tunnel. Um, and taking the shame and the guilt out of everything that we do um, will allow people to do that. Yeah, that's right. That's fantastic. And and I, 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 I'm sure you guys are like aware, but like Brene Brown is just like so helpful for us in talking about sh- getting rid of the shame. And she she adds to this like beautiful conversation that only vulnerability can lead to true connections with one another. And so the more that we can cultivate with one another a sense of vulnerability, mm-hmm. because what I, what I found is like, we're the only like business in the world that is like separated from each other in that, like all of us have our game on, on Sunday morning. And I think that's a huge loss for our vulnerability with each other, because like I deeply need to sit and, and to learn from other people what's going on, you know, but, but it kind of, cre- and it creates these like awkward conversations. Like I absolutely loathe pastor's conference. I, I love, I loathe these things. Cause it's like, I, the, the first 20 minutes is just awful. You know, you got like this, like posturing of everything we've done. And it's like, give me the real stuff, you know, like, I always thought we should start every uh, in, in the Methodist church. We have general conferences and charge conferences. We put these really weird names on things ver- big title names. They're just conferences. And um, I always thought we should just like have the bread in the cup at every entrance and be like right here (laughs) before you can officially start this meeting. We got to call this, call some vulnerability right here. Wouldn't that just change the dynamic of everything we do? If we just started with communion, wake up in the morning, you know, or you have a cup of coffee and talk to your wife, communion. (laughs) well for some though cup of coffee is the communion (laughs) right right no and that's that's very true i've I've worked in churches where we spent the first 30 minutes you know as a staff as whoever was in the church drinking a cup of coffee Mm. and relationships were better uh you know all all of these things that you do as a staff and as a church whether it's it's uh, members inside strangers whomever having that time of, of communion like you say just coming together in community is huge. And then I've been on the other end where the coffee pot's been taken out. Oh, yeah. 
and there is no connection with the staff. There's no connection with members and people come in and it's immediately put your head in the computer and work. And, you know, there's an unhealthy way to drink, you know, four hours worth of coffee in the morning, but there's a really (laughs) unhealthy way to not drink any, you know, you've got to have that, that thing. And, and like you say, all these, all these silly Methodist things that we do, we so often, even on Sunday morning, start in the wrong place. Mm -hmm. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Like that. Yeah, and 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 I hate to break this up, but I, I mean we, <laughs> we could go on for days. And, okay. <laughs> and, and uh, you know the invitation is always there for you to come on uh, anytime. Oh man, uh, thank you. And we appreciate uh, Dell and his great work. You know, check him out at, at Dell Fredrickson. Uh, I'm sure you Google him. He's got all the the resources. You and do all the the, the uh, stuff. You, you um, th- this this book Keeping Pulse is great. It's got a accompanying CD with it. Um, so nice. Help Me Be is also wonderful, one that I've used a lot of liturgy. Um, you've got a you've got a new project coming out. Is that right? Yeah, I'm super you excited. Tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, is that okay? Is that um, yeah, please? So I um I've written over the last year. I've written. I've got a new album done. It's already done right now. I meant to send you guys some stuff before, but um, it's called On Wounds and Wonder. And I wanted to, some of the ideas that we talked about, ironically, shape it. But I wanted to really talk about this idea of like in our culture right now. I mean. I mean, holy cow, look at our Facebook pages, look at our, the conversation in our country. Like we really have a hard time becoming one body. We're not seeing each other in our, in our commonalities, you know, in our, um, you know, it's wonderful to like, we live in a world of diversity and the more, the better, the richer the conversations, but like, what, what do we have in common? What is being in human? What is it being flesh? and having blood that runs through our veins, it's all the same color mean. And so I wanted to write a set of poems that talked about how to, how we become one body. And so, um, and I'm excited. So it comes with a book and an album and I'm going to, it's the first time I'm going to do a Kickstarter with it starting off here in a couple of weeks because, um, I've done two project, two big projects now. And then it just like, I love the way Kickstarter sort of creates more of a community around it. And mm-hmm. so, uh, so I'm re- ready to get that kicked off and I'm excited, excited for y'all to hear it and see what you think. Absolutely. And, and anything we can do to help, uh, promote your Kickstarter and things like that, uh, just send us links. We'll put them up. You know, our three or four listeners are going to love it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> hey, we've been getting more lately. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I joke, we've been getting more lately as our podcasts have been shorter. So, and right. uh, <laughs> I don't, I don't That's know. Hilarious. Um, but, but now we appreciate you and your time. Uh, we know, oh, man. As all three of us are pastors, I'm sure someone's probably already knocking on your door wanting your time already. Um, I've watched three people walk by mine, and I know that are sitting in there waiting to talk. But, you know, um, and like we said, this is this is why this time we're, we're trying to do some kingdom building and oriented things. And so, uh, Dale, I appreciate yeah. the conversation today. And, and we yeah. hope that um, our listeners today uh, take note of our stuff and Dale's stuff and utilize that stuff to help you grow. Because um, that's really what we try to do is help people grow in their faith. And um, don't forget to go on our website. We've got some great blogs and stuff from uh, past writers and friends and um, all sorts of great podcasts. We've got great mugs and all that great stuff. Um, and so, um, we've got it's the awesome. swag uh, and some of us. We have no problem being <laughs> shameless yeah. on this podcast. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, great. So, um, so for the Bearded Theologians, I'm Matt Franks. And I'm Zach Bechtel. Uh, Dale, thanks for being with us. And uh, everybody out there listening, thanks for checking us out. 
Thank you for listening to the Bearded Theologians podcast. We hope you've enjoyed listening, and we hope that you share our content online uh, through Facebook and social media, and we hope that you check out our uh, Beardcast store at beardedtheologians.com and pick up some great Bearded Theologians gear. We hope you have a good day.